in our new social isolation, physical distancing world, there's a group of people for whom that isn't a reality. Jails and prisons. Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm at hand. Once again, we're practicing physical distancing and coming to you from a remote location to enhance safety. Earlier this week, a group of leading medical professionals called on the federal and provincial governments to look at releasing low-risk inmates to ease the burden on those facilities. They're ripe for an outbreak when you consider the close proximity of prisoners, guards, staff, and parole officers. Quite often, sanitation is sparse. There's another group to consider as well, those being held for bail. Remember, they've yet to be convicted of a crime, nor have they been before a judge. And being put in, being inside puts them at risk of possibly being infected. On this edition of the Unpublished Cafe, our latest in the series on COVID-19, we discuss whether it's a healthy idea to release those offenders to stop the spread of the virus, or will it just create another public safety issue? Coming up later, we'll hear from the people on the front line in our jails and prisons. Stan Stapleton is the national president of the Union of Safety and Justice Employees, as well as Catherine Latimer is executive director of the John Howard Society, and she'll join us. But first, to get an up-close view of Behind Bars, I am pleased to be joined by Lee Chappelle. He's president president of Canadian Prison Consulting. And Lee, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Hello, Ed. First off, do you consider the release of low-risk offenders a health issue or a public safety issue? Well, I think public safety certainly is in the foremost when we're looking at something like this. Um, clearly, it's a global pandemic that's caused uh, a, a relook of what we're doing and who is inside. But I would say at the best of times, pre-global pandemic, there are a considerable percentage of inmates uh, within our institutions who are uh, street ready, for lack of a better expression, uh, low risk, and have supports in place who could be really safely, and I think to the benefit of um, those working within our correctional facilities, our inmate populations, and our communities as well. I wonder, though, those uh, the inmates you're referring to, um, if if they're low risk and they got the supports in, in place already, what, why have they not been released? Is it just because their term's not up? Well, partially, I would say that's part of it. So we're it's a bit of an antiquated system, and we've been doing same old, same old for for a very long time. Uh, denunciation, deterrence, and public safety are the three key things looked at by the criminal justice system in our courts when when sentencing for crimes, and and rightly so. I would think that uh, the focus should now be more uh, towards the public safety aspect as opposed to the denunciation and deterrence. I think um, from an overview perspective, we're really hitting that hard um, due to something that's come into the picture that we didn't anticipate, and that's this, this crisis. Now, prisons and, and jails are deemed an essential service. Is there any inmates, any way inmates and staff can practice physical distancing, or is it basically impossible? It, I would say it's basically impossible. That it's such tight quarters. We have double, triple bunking often. We have shared living areas that are very close proximity to one another. Um, you know, Correctional Service of Canada and the federal system is doing their best to rotate. Um, out time for inmates in different ranges, and so they're on partial lockdowns. And, and I would say even with that, it's a real challenge. Shared showers, shared um, living areas, eating areas. There's, and, and our correctional officers you know, have been omitted from personal protective equipment, and I think that's a, a bit of a mistake. I understand there's a challenge in, 
in uh, obtaining this this sort of thing and the equipment itself. But beyond the stationary part of a prison and the risk of it spreading so quickly in there are the people that are coming and going. And that does open up the community to risk. Yeah, I guess that's something that people don't realize is, you know, it's not just prisoners inside and, and maybe guards coming and going. It's that's it's a nonstop 24 seven, you know, almost like a, a roller coaster of people coming and going. Right. Yeah. So a stationary cruise ship, you could park it out, you know, off mm-hmm. shore and not, not let anybody offload. But that's not the case with our jails and prisons. And yes, there's a lot of people that come and go day in and day out. I think that enhances the importance of having uh, PPE for those people that are working in our on the front lines of our jails. Um, and, you know, when it comes to low risk, you, you make a good point there. It has always been, at the best of times, a real uh, debate. I think, you know, we look at tough on crime, we look at hug a thug and the political aspect of it. I think this should transcend the, the politics, though. And if we look at the science and the data, um, and, and that's become pretty common verbiage for us today through this uh, pandemic, the science and the data does support that people are able to come out. And, and I, I served the sentence. It's been 10 years now that I've been running a firm. Um, clearly. I'm an example of somebody who is safe out here. Tell me something. How much access to hygiene services do do prisoners have behind bars? It's fairly minimal. Ed. I, you know, the provincial corrections, uh, it, it's much tougher. It's, it's, uh, the federal system has a better um, opportunity for hygiene. Provincially, it's really tough. You're talking two to three in a cell, uh, shared toilet, shared shared um, shower, shared sink, um, really tight living quarters, and minimal cleaning. Uh, I mean, the issue of cleaning supplies is minimal at the best of times. I know they've tried and they've increased it, but I, I still say this presents a real challenge. And, and I guess uh, one thing to think about, you know, hand sanitizer is obviously top of mind for a lot of people, but that can't be handed out in, in a prison or a jail because it's alcohol-based, right? Correct. Yeah. So there's a risk that goes along with that. And so methodology, how is it delivered? And and that would be a challenge. And it's a legitimate one. As I mentioned before, I think there's many people that are street ready. I think there's people that are street ready that I work with the day they're sentenced. However, on the flip side of that, there are many people within our jails and prisons who may never be likely for community, uh, ready for community living. Is there not the ability to segregate the population instead of, you know, releasing some of these low-risk offenders? Or are we just so overcrowded that this is the only way to release the pressure? Right. So I think what it does is it does establish and reflects the fact that we were overcrowded to begin with and that Mm -hmm. our system was uh, overcrowded. So it does pose a challenge to, um, yeah, our isolation cells, I can speak from experience with my clients in our provincial jails in Ontario, the 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 hole and the isolation cells are full. Um, <laughs> they're just packed, and that's and that's been predominantly by choice. The inmates have wanted to go there in a fo- as a form of protecting themselves, so there's no cells left available. Lee Chappelle is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe. He's president of Canadian Prison Consulting as we talk about the possible release of low-risk offenders from uh, jails and prisons in Canada to offset the pressure and possibly reduce uh, the risk of an outbreak of uh, COVID-19 behind those walls. And, you know, I'm I'm kind of wondering here, Lee, uh, in in terms of health care, uh, in a jail or, or, or in a prison, what's available for both staff and the inmates? 
Well, and you know, that's a great point. Ed. I think a lot of people don't walk it through to that, to that point. But provincially, again, and we have significant mm-hmm. differences between our provincial and federal systems. In the provincial system, healthcare is sparse at best. And to see a healthcare uh, person, it takes two correctional officers to escort them, uh, either the inmate to the healthcare or healthcare to the inmate to the range. Um, so that's a real challenge within. And then the federal system, there are healthcare units within our institutions, but we're on limited um, movement right now with running within our institutions. So there's, it's a little better in the federal system, uh, but I would say provincially it's a real challenge for anybody to see healthcare, and not only that, the logistics for that to occur now, uh, it was always a challenge. It's enhanced through this, um, through this pandemic. <laughs> Uh, you, you talked about uh, using science and, and data. How can you assure people that the release of low-risk offenders will not lead to, uh, I said a public safety issue, but uh, yep. reoffending more crime, that kind of a thing? Well, you know, the data, I think, does show what works. And, you know, we, we're, we've always been back and forth, and I think this is true probably everywhere in the world, in Canada, that, um, you know, the public, it would take a little bit of a change of heart. Um, many people we believe it important that a full sentence be imposed. Um, I w- you know, frankly, to be honest, there is no judge nor correctional service who has a recipe for creating a pro-social conduct. Um, it's not like baking cookies. We can predict 45 minutes in the oven produces a quality uh, product. So there are a lot of tools. There are assessment tools. There are risk assessments. There's, there's a way of determining risk. Um, but the key for me with the people I work with um, has always been ownership, accountability, insight, and remorse. And I hammer those points home with them. Uh, most people who've made the mistake are, are sitting right now, and I think terrified, probably rightly so, uh, to be sitting in these jails and have a real vested interest to come out and um, be part of a, a positive uh not to reoffend, but just to be safe. They have families, homes to go to. I'm not all that keen on releasing the ones that don't have those supports in place, and it would be a more more of a challenge at least. But there are many that do have that pre-existent. You know, you know before any, any release from jail or prison with these low-risk inmates, would they be tested for COVID to make sure they're not going to bring it into the community? I'd have to think that would be a key. It would be no different than a border crossing. And then minimally, I mean, we have stay-at-home orders. So if people are coming out, there are things that can be applied, like electronic surveillance programs, bracelets. Um, and I would say part of the mandate, at least for the indefinite future, is stay at home. How quickly do you feel government should move to release low-risk offenders? Uh, you know, it's tough. I think it's easy to be critical. Uh, it's a huge organization Canada-wide, the, the Federal Correctional Service of Canada. I have a lot of respect for, the, for who's running it, Ann Kelly, Deputy Commissioner in Ontario, Scott Harris. These are good people who I've spoken with. Um, but I do believe this is a real challenge, and it's, it's beyond corrections for everybody in every, every industry. Uh, it, it's tough. I, I, I think it's one of those things where you're relying on science, you're relying on data, yet you're also aware politically there's a real risk here no matter what way you go. Yeah, that, that politics is, uh, I guess, a wild card in the, in this whole thing, isn't it? <laughs> it? It is for sure. I mean, our correctional system is apolitical by nature. It's an institution, but nonetheless, you, you know, clearly, uh, Minister, Public Safety Minister uh, Blair does have the opportunity to 
pull out the uh, Cutchman's Conditional Release Act and have en masse releases through various parts of legislation. But I don't see that happening, nor I just see that as a considerable risk. Lee, I want to thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Lee Chappelle is the president of Canadian Prison Consulting. While we know there are several inmates held in a cell, there's no ability for them to physical distance from each other. Also at risk, those on the other side of the bars, guards, staff, parole officers of the facility. Stan Stapleton represents those frontline workers as the national president of the Union of Safety and Justice Workers, and he joins us today. And Stan, how much contact would you say your members deal with uh, in a day in dealing with uh, inmates? Well, the, uh, depending on the, the job you're doing, the contact can be continuous. For example, if you're working in the kitchen uh, and, and you're, the offenders are there helping you prepare meals and such, if you're a parole officer, uh, the contact is usually set up when you have a, a meeting that you need to uh, discuss things with the offender. If you're a program officer, you will have offenders come into a closed room and there could be quite a, quite a few and you're teaching those people as well as teachers uh, would be the, the same type of situation. So depending on the job, it could be continuous, it could be sporadic. Has the Correctional Service and Parole Board brought in changes to improve health and safety behind bars? Boy, that's a pretty broad question. Uh, health and safety is always a, a, a difficult thing to uh, work with or figure out within a prison. If you're speaking specifically to the COVID case, Mm -hmm. yes, they have brought things in. Uh, We have, however, had to uh, push pretty hard uh, Corrections Canada to bring in uh, measures to protect the safety of both offenders as well as staff. Now, I I understand that uh, those within the walls that are that are working within the walls of jails and prisons they're not getting uh personal uh equipment like masks and gloves and that kind of thing are are you seeing that yes uh, certainly they were not now recently uh last week finally masks were being distributed to staff and every staff member will get a mask but because of the shortage right now it's a mask every two days now, they are allowing uh, individuals to wear their own masks, that they have uh, homemade masks. They are allowing that. However, having said that, initially when those staff members wanted to wear those prior to corrections deciding that they would um, uh, give out masks to everybody, corrections was saying you can't wear that. And so they were actually preventing people from wearing masks inside the prison. Now, of course, if you're in a situation, emergency situation, where you needed to don protective personal equipment, that equipment uh, would be uh, available in those very specialized circumstances. So as you can imagine, within a prison, social distancing is virtually impossible. Uh, and that social distancing, may you, you may have most of your contact with staff. Mm-hmm. However, it's staff that is bringing this virus into the institution. And so I may have very little contact with an offender. However, I may have great deal of contact with my colleagues and my colleagues. I may be infected and pass it on to my colleagues who in turn can pass it on to the offenders and other staff working at the site. 
Yeah, I think that's something a lot of people don't realize that, you know, when this, this whole story about low risk offenders being released to prevent the spread of, of the virus comes out, people think, oh, it can't be that bad. You keep them inside. But it, it's not just uh, just the prisoners, just the guards, but they're like it's nonstop people coming and going uh, from all walks of life because that facility has to operate on so many levels. That's correct. And initially, Corrections was trying to maintain as close to a business-as-usual model as they could. However, uh, we certainly pushed back very hard, and I know the other unions did, saying that this isn't sustainable if we are going to make a concerted effort to keep this virus out of the institutions. We need to really reduce the number of staff that are working inside through uses of telework or simply don't come in. On, until we figured this thing out. And so as we've developed, the number of staff have, have been reduced that are coming in. There's no longer volunteers come in, visitors don't come in, contractors, unless it's emergency, don't come in. Uh, offenders are uh, voluntary transfers between institutions no longer happen, only emergency transfers. So there were uh, some things that were put in place to reduce the chances of the virus entering an institution. Stan Stapleton joining us on the Unpublished Cafe as we discuss the possible release of low-risk offenders in Canada's jails and prisons to prevent the spread of COVID-19 within the walls. And Stan, from your perspective, you feel releasing those offenders will create a a bigger public safety issue, like create more crime, tie up more police resources, or do you think this is is a a smart healthcare move? I think if you're talking provincial uh, prisons, there probably is a role for that uh, to play uh, because, you know, they have uh, mainly low risk. However, the offenders that are, are doing federal time in Canada, you know, they've been sentenced to federal time for a reason. And we can't simply release these offenders to the street. They need to have the community supports. And that is what parole officers do. They also need to have the interventions, have they have the programs that they need so that they can, uh, have tools to help them control their behavior on the street. Uh, the community supports, though, are so important. And often these uh, men and women, if they're released early, will not have those supports in place. And I, I think from a public safety perspective, there are very few offenders from the federal system that we could release quickly because we have the, the parole system. So defenders need to go in front of the parole board and the parole board has to make a decision where they're going, they're going to release them. And even if they're scheduled for release, the community parole officers have to uh, develop a, a community plan. Do they have a place to go? Often these uh, men and women don't have a place to go. We certainly can't simply send them to a homeless shelter. So from a public safety perspective, it's very difficult from a federal prison to simply say, hey, you can go out. From your perspective, have the provincial and federal governments reacted quickly enough to deal with this issue? I, I cannot speak for the provincial uh, government because uh, I'm not uh, associated okay. with them. Uh, certainly from the federal perspective, corrections was slow off the, the start, uh, quite frankly, in my opinion. However, things are improving, but we're also a month into it, and things that are happening now likely should have happened right at the very beginning. 
Um, but we can see that across the country uh, with regards to simply everybody wearing masks. It took a long time for our public health agency to get to the point where they're recommending that everybody wear a mask. Stan, I want to thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me. You take care. Stan Stapleton is the national president of the Union of Safety and Justice Workers. Earlier this week, Ontario announced they would be releasing about 2,000 low-risk offenders to ease the potential of an outbreak behind bars. An outbreak among the prison population would be rife with challenges to control the spread. Catherine Latimer is the executive director of the John Howard Society, which aims to help offenders reintegrate back into the community. And she joins us now. Thank you for joining us, Catherine. My pleasure, Ed. Now, you support the release of the 2,000 low-risk offenders in Ontario, do you not? Um, We think Ontario is doing a terrific job. Uh, I'm more concerned about the lack of action on the federal government side. And what would you like to see from the federal government? Well, I think it's very important to comply with the advice that they've been receiving from epidemiologists and human rights organizations, doctors and lawyers and all kinds of advocates to try and stave off the impact of the COVID-19 by safely releasing prisoners back into the communities. Now, in terms of those those federal federal prisoners who, who might be considered low risk, do they have the community supports behind them so if they are released they'll be fine uh, when they come back into the community yeah that's a good point and we would certainly recommend giving priority to those uh, prisoners who have a residence that they can go to so it takes some of the pressure off the halfway houses and other uh, normal accommodations for reintegration that are already being stressed by the COVID-19 Um, And it would also uh, allow for certain things like electronic monitoring and other supports being put into place uh, for them to be essentially subjected to some form of house arrest. You know, uh, when you look at the situation about releasing low risk offenders, you know, I I think the the line I've seen a few times and has been thrown at me when I bring it up is uh, the get out of jail free card. But uh, that's kind of a simplistic way of looking at it, is it not? Yes. Um, Well, the reason why it's important to take care with respect to the jails and the prisons is that they serve as an accelerator for this particular virus or any particular virus, but particularly this one, which is very infectious. So if they're allowed to incubate in the prisons, the spread back into the community is greater. And it also stands a risk of overwhelming uh, local healthcare providers. You know, we had the, the 2000 that were uh, low risk inmates that were released in Ontario. And I'm wondering, uh, before they're released, you know, obviously with supports and everything in place, before they're released, are they tested for COVID-19 to make sure they're not possibly bringing the infection out into the community? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what they're doing in Ontario, but I do know that some of the John Howard halfway houses in places like Alberta uh, clearly expressed to me they would prefer that the prisoners be tested before they come out, and that would make it a lot easier to take them into our halfway houses because we do have a duty of care to those that are that are already in the halfway houses, and we want to avoid a spread of infection. But testing in order to avoid quarantine uh, is is something that we've been encouraging. Right now, when prisoners are coming into the federal system, they're being subjected to 14 days of quarantine, which is pretty much like a solitary confinement bit. 
Um, and it is very hard on people to be subjected to that. And it is possible for uh, the heads of institutions to ha- to ensure that people have a clean bill of health before being admitted into the federal institutions. So they could ask that these people be tested and not be suffering from COVID-19 before they come in. So in, so uh, if uh, someone is going into a federal prison, uh, they would be isolated for, for 14 days. What about local jails? Would it be the same situation or no? I think they would be trying to uh, protect the inmate population as best they can, which would include some form of quarantine. They may be limiting it to um, to people who are showing symptoms. The difficulty with the local um, jails is that they're much more crowded and you've got much more churns, more people coming in and out. So it's it's harder to control uh, the virus in the in the local jails than it is in some of the federal jails. But they're still not doing enough in the federal jails either. Now, what evidence do you show to people that uh, releasing low-risk offenders won't become a public safety issue? I think the um, the evidence is pretty good that there are people who have already been, at least on the federal side, there already have been a lot of prisoners identified as being low-risk. So they have been given uh, day parole or full parole or unescorted temporary absences into the community. And if they haven't screwed up on that, there's a good chance that they're, they're, they can be trusted in the community, particularly under circumstances where they will be likely subject to the same kind of social exclusion and isolation that the rest of us are experiencing. So there are opportunities to commit um, uh, crimes or get involved with the wrong people are going to be significantly limited. Um, I think that the numbers that we have of people successfully reintegrating are pretty high, uh, particularly with certain groups that cause cause people to be a bit concerned because it is often the people who've committed a single act of violence in the past that have the lowest recidivism rates. And so they should be really be given, uh, you know, careful consideration now uh, in terms of being released into the community rather than your what we would call nonviolent crime. But if you've got a serial um, uh, perpetrator, their risk is harder to manage in the community. You know, what one uh, sort of aspect of the whole thing, you brought it up a little earlier in, in the whole correction service, prisons, jails, halfway houses. It, and, you know, what, what's the federal and provincial government looking at for those to make sure they're still safe? Well, I think the, um, the halfway houses, uh, the managers and others are in active uh, conversation with the prison authorities to try and figure out how best to manage this. So I think there is a good set of collaboration uh, going on there. There certainly is an element of concern about being able to maintain requisite social distance. Like some of our halfway houses, um, people share rooms, uh, things like that, which is not desirable. And so many halfway houses are taking fewer people at this time in order to ensure that they're adequately protected on their way out, which is not entirely helpful, which means we really need to be looking at some creative solutions as people are coming back into the community. Uh, For example, uh, a couple of prisoners were released from Port Cartier, which is a maximum security prison in um, in Quebec, and they had reached their statutory release date, so there was no grounds to retain them in the prisons. But they were worried about them bringing um, COVID-19 possibly into the community, so they were placed in a hotel for 14 days uh, to ensure that they were not contagious before being 
um, uh, allowed to go back to their own communities. Something like that can be done. There's lots of empty motels and hotels and university residences and a variety of other things that with some, you know, innovation and creativity could be used to support um, the safe social reintegration of people uh, back into the communities and to prevent uh, the spread of the disease. Catherine, I want to thank you for joining us. My pleasure. All the best to you, Ed. Catherine Latimer is the executive director of the John Howard Society. Now it's time for you to weigh in on the issue. We want to know, do you support the release of low-risk offenders from jail and prison to avoid an outbreak of COVID-19? Yes, no, or you're undecided. You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. And we'd like to thank you for taking notice of Unpublished Media and the Unpublished Cafe, along with unpublished.vote, as we aim to bring you more information and insight into the COVID-19 pandemic. I'd like to thank Lee Chappelle, President of Canadian Prison Consulting, as well as Stan Stapleton, National President of the Union of Safety and Justice Workers, as well as Catherine Latimer, Executive Director of the John Howard Society, for joining us. And I thank you for listening to the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.